Our guest today is a modern day superstar at NASCAR. Born in Alabama, he was introduced to racing at a young age. And it's a passion that has lived with him ever since. Having made his debut in the sport as a teenager, he has since recorded eight wins at national level. In 2021, he secured his first maiden NASCAR Cup victory in his home state. And in doing so, he became just the second African-American driver to achieve this feat. 50 years after Wendell Scott first did it in 1963. He followed that up with another win this year, making him the only black driver in history with multiple NASCAR wins to his name. Yet perhaps his greatest achievement has been to reimagine the future of a traditionally white monocultural sport. Away from the track, he continues to be an instrumental voice in pushing NASCAR towards becoming a more inclusive and diverse sport. Nowhere was that more apparent than his efforts to have the Confederate flag banned from NASCAR events in 2020. It gives me immense pleasure to welcome Bubba Wallace to the podcast today. Bubba, welcome. Thank you, sir. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm in cold London, and I'm guessing you're in slightly warmer climate still uh, in the U.S.? Just a little bit. We're uh, It's starting to get cold at night and, and in the morning, early mornings, but during the day, it's really nice right now. Actually, I, I'm, I'm just going to come at you from left field here. Um, I'm just interested. Clearly, NASCAR is physically exacting. Mentally, it takes its toll. What kind of conditioning work do you do uh, outside of the, you know, the hours that you're at the racetrack? I guess that you you are very fit. Yeah, well, I, I like to think that I am until you actually put me to work and shows how out of shape I am. But um, I have I have been on the slow decline of, of actually working out. I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, the biggest workout I get is when we drive and race and compete on Sunday. You know, the the muscle memory that you have just from that is is enough for me to get by um there's there's some other drivers that make it daily workout routine i just struggle feeling anything different from before the gym and after the gym i'm just tired and i'm sore now so (laughs) (laughs) i'm like if i can eliminate that then so be it but uh i used to be able to do the two a days and 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 feel all ripped and cut and stuff and and so uh for me i just I'm mind. I'm mindful of what I eat and drink uh, leading up to race day, and uh, try to take care of myself. I'll do a little bit of running. Um, that's if my knee doesn't give me problems, uh, or I'll jump on my mountain bike uh, and do a little bit of that. But other than that, it's just take the workout as you get it. Oh, but let, let me tell you, when you get to my vintage as an old pavement pounder, the day <laughs> you wake up and you don't ache, you're probably dead. <laughs> that is true. I mean, I'm at that age. I've been there now for. A handful of years while I wake up and I pull a muscle just getting out of bed. So uh, I don't know if that's screaming, hey, you need to work out or, hey, it's just old age. But uh, we'll see. Before I get into your lustrous career and, you know, a romp across the, the landscape of NASCAR and all the other things you're involved in, I'm always fascinated by the background to the person I'm sitting talking to mm-hmm. and has had you know, or talking with that's, you know, given me the, the privilege of, of, of this time. Uh, and I've always strongly felt that we are, a, all of us are a confluence of all sorts of influences, landscape, right. geography, family, parents, friendships, education, landscape. You grew up in Alabama, but you weren't obviously from a racing family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
I, I know you, you've previously cited uh, and given credit to your parents uh, and the influence they had on your life, as well as watching uh, the Earhart's growing up as, as reasons for your, well, I, I suppose your elevation into the sport. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular moment when you just knew this is what you wanted to do? Um, I guess it was, it was later in my career. So I was born in Alabama, but I moved to Charlotte where I, where I reside now when I was two years old. So really, okay. Alabama is just really on the birth certificate. Uh, yeah. I always, ask, I always ask people, what do you remember when you were two years old? And they're like, not much. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> so Charlotte's home for me, but started racing in 2002 or three. And it wasn't until 2000. In 11 to where I had this moment of not really wanting to do something else, but it was kind of questioning like, man, this, you know, this seems fun. Like what, what would be next if we did keep going? And it was a race. Uh, what age, what age were you at that stage? Well, uh, I'm terrible at math. So 2011, I would be 17. Okay. Yeah. 16, 17. And so in that moment, it was the last race of the season and we had just paced the field in practice and we just qualified on the pole for, uh, for that race. And it was sitting there with that. You have about a minute or so before you roll out on the racetrack. Uh, and it was like, man, this seems really fun. Let's keep going. And we went on to win the race. And, uh, that was kind of the, the moment to me where it was like, let's stick it out and, and enjoy the roller coaster ride. And it's been exactly that ups and downs, twists and turns, all that good stuff, a part of the journey. And the, the journey that got you to that moment, uh, it, it's interesting. When I talk to young people in their, the, uh, making their way in whatever sport it happens to be, track and field, baseball, whatever it is, there's a certain, there's a loneliness because not always their friends, their peer groups don't always get the fact that right. they're not always around. They're really focused on doing something which is not often within the frame of reference of, right. of friends. Sometimes friendships actually fracture around that. Yeah. D did you find the same types of challenges around that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen my, my friend group, you know, definitely change when I started racing because I spent the majority of the times uh, that you would spend with your, I guess, normal life friends versus yeah. your racetrack friends, you know, it, it definitely swayed more to the racetrack side because you're, you're there on the weekends, you're, you're racing Saturdays and Sundays and, and uh, Monday through Friday, you're at school. So uh, you don't really have much time, but you know um, I definitely seen it change uh, for better or worse. I mean, that's, you can kind of call that as you see it. I mean, I, I had great friends all around on and off the racetrack. But definitely, you know, nowadays, I, I would say that I have my biggest family, aside from my own, obviously, is, is the racetrack side of things. I mean, I spent majority of my lifetime at the racetrack now. And so uh, high school friends, uh, I, have, I rarely keep in touch with, with any of them. And, and it's just tough because our schedules never align. They're like, hey, you want to go grab a, grab a beer on Saturday? And it's like, mm, I'm, I'm on the other side of the country. It's like, no, I can't. So yeah. it's tough. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, before like that moment in 2010 or 2011, it was, 
it was just racing to race. And my dad was like, Hey, we're going to go here this weekend. Hey, we're going to go here this weekend. It's like, okay. And we would go and compete and, and figure it all out. And it was fun. And, uh, you didn't have any responsibilities. Uh, you didn't have any worries. Like, obviously you wanted to win the race, but you know, you just enjoyed the time that, that you were in before you realized like, Oh, this, this is going to become your job. And, uh, it's not really a job. It's, it's more of a, a way of life and your passion that you're following. And, uh, but still like, there's a lot more responsibilities that I have to be mindful of. What I'm interested here is that, look, you're sitting on this podcast as a, a fully established NASCAR driver. You've competed in all three of the sports national series. And you've sort of talked about the pathway uh, into your sport. What I'm also interested in is that you're just the fourth African-American to compete in a NASCAR Cup series. That would not be a particularly interesting or noteworthy achievement if you were a track and field athlete right you know it's right. it's you know i'm always proud right. that my sport is probably the the most diverse sport on right. the planet you've talked about i mean the challenge of breaking through into any sport yeah at the ranks that you've now broken into it at is, is tough enough but the added tier of complexity must have been at some stages in what is, you know, has traditionally always been seen as a pretty monocultural sport, must have been a challenge. Really, honestly, it's it's only ramped up over the last, I'd say I've been at the national level since 2013. So I'd say in the okay. last eight years, because that's a point that that people will get. And I, I don't mean any harm to the media, but yeah. it's it's their job, but it's their way to point something out to get viewership right to get people to read and and I, I remember winning my first truck race uh in 2013 and and to me it was late in the season didn't think we were going to get a win had multiple opportunities that I had passed up on and it finally happened and to me it was just a massive weight lifted off my shoulders like finally we did it we won the truck series we won at the national level like this is something that I've been wanting to do all season long uh, like finally you, you, you're keeping your wins going every, each and every year. And, uh, that's the moment that I had with self. And then I get to victory lane and get out and talk to the cameras. And they're like the first African-American since Wendell Scott. And I was like, Oh, I, I didn't even <laughs> realize that. Right. And, uh, it's never been a thing that I chased or, you know, looked at, uh, because, at the time when I was a kid, yeah, I was the only one. There may have been one or two of us in yeah. uh, go-karts, but we were all competitors. We were all, we'd all race against each other and beating and banging. And then we would go throw football out in the parking lot while there were other races were going on. Like we would have, we would have fun. And, and so I just felt like I was just another competitor and never looked at it. And coming from a, a biracial, you know, couple, a yeah. mom and dad, like, you know, we, it was just, we just go live life and have fun. Like, yeah, we were already different and uh, it, it didn't bother us. And so now it's talked about every time something happens on the racetrack, uh, all this success will follow. Bubba Wallace gets his win at Kansas. He's the first African-American to get two wins. Yeah. And it's, it's like, to me, I just, I just got another win. Like, thanks. Like, that's good. We can leave out the other side, but at the same time I get it. You know, there's, there's like you said, only been four. 
And if we're trying to change the game and change the, the face of this sport, then it needs to be talked about because there are some kids that probably look at our sport and they're like, I don't see any representation. And then they see me and it's like, oh, okay, well, I, I look like him. So I want to try it. So if it's not talked about, then there's probably no traction. So it's a fine line. You know, I, I know where I stand on side of things. I'm always, let's let the, let's let the results speak for itself. Let's just go out and, and do all that we can to win races and let everything else fall in behind. So you, you sort of see in a way your responsibility here is to give permission to other kids like you to feel right. that they can actually, they can break into the sport Right. And they can then, once they're in there, they can achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think you got to show them like, hey, I'm creating this this playground for you. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to build off what Wendell Scott had built for us and uh, trying to make it better for when you step in and, and, and make your spotlight. Uh, we have a young kid, Roger Cruz, coming up through and and, uh, you know, he, he came from the, the virtual side of things on iRacing. And it's, it's totally different from what I experienced because I, I was, you know, racing since I was nine. He started racing when he was 16, 17, uh, but he's been doing it virtually for a long time. But virtual to real life is there's always going to be a massive gap. But, you know, there's there's moments on track where it's like you, you have to stand up for yourself and, and, and show that, you know, you're not one to be messed with. And that's going to show like other kids coming up through like, OK, Bubba's not just going to get pushed around. No, uh, I, I don't know you very well, but you don't strike me as being a victim, Bubba. Let me, um, <laughs> I, I, let me I'd like to pick up on, on a point you made a few moments ago, because you we were talking in this space. You said that, look, it, it sort of got ramped up from about 2013 onwards. Well, you know, if it was ramping up in 2013, um, and you probably know where I'm, where, where we're headed here, mm -hmm. And you were obviously well known within America, but you actually assumed much more of a of a global, in a way, iconic status yeah. uh, around the awful uh, aftermath of the uh, George Floyd mm -hmm. uh, murder. Uh, and you were incredibly brave and, you know, timely and, and if I may say so, commendable in campaigning for racial justice. You've you. We talked about, you know, greater yep. inclusivity within the sport. That included famously the, the track walk at uh, Talladega yep. and, and your efforts with the Confederate flag. And, you, I mean, you also took Donald Trump on. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that's an immediate fan base to start with. Right. Yeah, I guess you gain some fans, you lose some fans. That, that's all part of that. That's sports. And, and, and that's what you sign up for. But, um, yeah, 2020 was was a year that I think the whole world wish they could forget because of COVID. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, our, our country just going through all the racial injustices, um, that would just turn this place upside down. And you've seen a lot of true colors of a lot of people come to, uh, the forefront and, um, and that's, that's life as well. You have to deal with that and, and, and weed those people out. But, uh, you know, my name definitely blew up from 2020 and started to not shape and mold me, but people started to make their own assumptions of, of who Bubba Wallace is and they're going to carry that and, and staple it into their minds. And, and so be it, that's fine. But I had a conversation with somebody yesterday on, you know, what it's like, you know, working with, with me 
and uh, people are like, people probably go into that conversation a little bit reserved because, you know, however they feel about me, that which is fine. But, you know, it's always that you can't judge a book by its cover. And, and that person's like, man, he's awesome. He's a great guy. He's, he's fun. He's competitive. And he, he cares about everybody around him. And, uh, and that, that's who I am. So the, the media side of things, you, you get, you get one side, uh, you know, I've never watched a movie or, or sports and pick out an athlete. And I'm like, man, I don't like that person because of, of this. It's like, you know, that was kind of a, a edgy call, whatever, but then you get to meet them in person and it's like, Oh, it's you find, you, you see their true color. So I'm always, you know, excited to meet new people because you get to see who people are. And, and I will say since 2020 though, it's, it's had me more aware of my surroundings. You know, when you go into these scenarios, it's like, uh, you know, who's, who's a bubble Wallace fan, who's not. And, you know, how are certain people going to act? So you have to, uh, you have to be mindful of all that. We always say, uh, keep your head on a swivel. Well, they also say <laughs> the, the other side of the argument, of course, is they always say never run the risk of meeting your heroes. You can suddenly be <laughs> dispossessed of, of that heroism quite quickly and, and disappointed. Yep. But look, it, it's very clear to me in what I've read and interviews I've, I've seen you given that this was a really important stand for you to make. Mm-hmm. But it can't have been without its daunting moments we do i I, i'm i'm fascinated or did you have any regrets about going down that road brave and and as commendable as it was or is it was just in your dna no it's just i guess in my dna i've 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 really come to accept the fact that you know there's maybe one or two things that i regret in life um but other than that those are the choices that you make and uh, if you act irrationally and, and don't put any thought into it, which I've done, I've gotten in trouble for, <laughs> um, We've all then, been it, right. We're human. But for the moments like that, like I've, I had a lot of time to think about it and I still, you know, went down that path. And, and so regret doesn't really, you know, live within me. I've always been the person to ask for forgiveness later. You know, you just go out and do it, but that's not a, that's not a moment for of asking for yeah. forgiveness. That was, yeah. That was, hey, something needs to change. And um, my, my, both my parents always said, we always say, or get off the pot, do something or, or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like the sound of your parents already. What, <laughs> that stance, what message do you hope that sends out to, not just to fans of the sport, but future generations way beyond the sport? We're different. Everybody in this world is different. We all have a different purpose in life. And I always say like, who knows if race cars, driving race cars is my purpose in life. You know, is, is it my purpose to, to transcend the sport into new demographics? Potentially, you know, after 2020, my mom said, did you ever see yourself as an activist? And I was like, no, I'm not, but you know, I see where she's coming from. And so who knew this wasn't the cards that I was going to be dealt the whole time. And you just live that out. But we're all, you know, made different. And my, my foundation is, is called Live to be Different because we are exactly that. And so who is it for me to judge somebody else for going about their lives a different way? Just because it's not the same as X, Y, and Z, like, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, a lot of people think that uh, since, you know, 40 years ago, this is how it's done. This is how it needs to be. It's like, no, that's not the case. 
because 40 years ago when things weren't right, you guys weren't standing up for, for what's right. And you guys were sitting in the, in the background, not saying anything. And so now it's taken me to, to make, try attempt to make everybody feel comfortable in their own skin and in their own voice to go out and, and say things and do things to make things right. And so, you know, it's, it's very, you know, judgmental, hypocritical, um, uh, it's, it's, it's both of those lives, lifestyles that you have to kind of navigate through. And, um, you know, as long as you do those things with confidence, then, you know, no one can tell you otherwise. It's interesting because although the platform it gave you and the opportunity to help change up to that point, even programs like drive, uh, for diversity, which was launched in 2004 for really, really good reasons. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's probably fair to say that the, the, the outcomes have been modest. Yet in the past two years, we've really seen progress. We've really seen some, some rate of change. There's more diversity yeah. in terms of ownership. Uh, we see more women and people from minority backgrounds feeling that yeah. they've got you know, they've got opportunities within the sport, both both on and off the track. I mean, you even hosted Bubba's Block Party uh, yeah. in Re- in Richmond, presumably to try and attract a, a, a different audience than normal to the racetrack and beyond mm-hmm. the racetrack. Yeah, that's that's the biggest challenge, to be honest with you. We had Bubba's Block Party twice now at Richmond and yeah. Birmingham, and it's continued to grow and, and be a lot of fun. And I went into those deals and it all started kind of just from an idea like, Hey, why don't I have like a block party type event and, you know, have a diverse crowd out, have some, some key artists come out and perform. And that was it. And NASCAR basically was like, Hey, are you serious about this? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's something different. Like why not, you know, chase that. And so we brainstormed some ideas that all came together. Richmond went into that and it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like hats off to everybody involved from, from my team, from the race team, from NASCAR to all put this together. And uh, it was cool. Then we went to Birmingham and it was even better. And, and, and going into those moments, it's like, I, I think of, okay, what needs to be different? What needs to, what do we need to continue to improve on? And uh, we've reached some conclusions on things, but the biggest thing that you leave there with is like, okay, we had 2,500, 3,000 people, at these events, having a blast, getting to, you know, just enjoy themselves and learn a little bit about NASCAR. But I questioned, how do we get that crowd to the racetrack? I think that is the end goal. Like, okay, you guys are here. We put on this show for you guys. We're having a great time. You guys are coming out to support it. Okay. Now let's get you guys to support what I do. Let's uh, come cheer me on, you know, buy a ticket go buy some merchandise at the track and enjoy the show. I think that is the barrier that we have to break through and how we do that. Everybody that I asked that question to was like, that's a great question. So we just have to continue to, to implement and push and push to be better and, and, and do bigger things. Well, it, it does occur to me that one of the big signs of progress here is that while, you know, your voice has effectively given amplification amplification for the case for, mm-hmm you know, greater, greater diversity. It was, it was clearly your objective. It's also had quite a positive outcome in commercial opportunities, commercial perspectives too. In the past uh, and at previous teams, I've read that you felt that, you know, you'd been held back by a lack of sponsorship opportunities. You've now got corporate America 
queuing yeah. up for these opportunities. I guess that's a, a, a very virtuous outcome from something that really started as a an amplification around a, a, an issue that was really rooted just in diversity. It's now, I mean, maybe that commercial angle will really turbocharge that change. Yeah, um, it's definitely interesting to look at how much has changed over the last three years, you know, when when sponsorship was was an issue and a part of your everyday life. And now, you know, you look at things and it's like, man, you know, sponsors are, are beating down the doors to be a part of our team. So you're very grateful for our opportunity and uh, you just have to continue to make the most of that. And Why do you think it took so long? That's I don't know if I could call every CEO or every CMO of every company <laughs> that we called and asked why, you know, I'm not sure what the answer would be. Um, yeah. But, you know, taking a, a massive risk on a kid uh, and inside of a very expensive sport, you know, that might have a little bit to do with it, but it, it is what it is. And, you know, I'm not much on dwelling on the past, but uh, we're here now and, and we've, we've been able to form a, a brand new race team with, with the sponsors that we, we were able to bring in. You know, we've had the, the founding, you know, founding sponsors of our of our program at 2311 that have continued to grow and do massive things for the for the team, but also for the sport and diversity and inclusion to make that better. So it's, it's been really cool to uh, continue to grow with them uh, to make this all better for everybody that comes in. I was fascinated in advance of this uh, session with you. I did actually take a, a glimpse at some of the uh, some of the content around that Netflix documentary mm -hmm. race. I, I was fascinated by an observation that your manager uh, made, which was that you or his assessment of you was that you were probably the most pressurized athlete in the history of sports. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Is it the same pressure that Tiger had? The same pressure that Jackie Robinson had? Lewis, you know? Lewis Hamilton. Lewis maybe? Hamilton. Yeah. 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 So it's Jesse it's, Owens. If you Jesse, want to go back. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so it's, it's tough. I think, um, you know, I'll let them kind of, yeah. kind of narrate that. But for me, I mean, there, there has been a ton of pressure and, and, and they always ask like, what's the pressure like? And, you know, for me, it's always the pressure that comes from within my two ears because I am the world's meanest critic to, of self. And, uh, you know, as of lately, I've, I, I haven't been able to rag on myself too hard. And I think that's made me feel better as a person. But the pressure comes from within. Everything else is just noise to me, right? Uh, I, I invest my time and put all my eggs in one basket, if you say uh, into my race crafts, my race team, and making sure we go out and execute. Two quick questions. You mm -hmm. talk about pressure, and I, I, I get that uh, entirely. Has some of that pressure been self-inflicted, given that you've been prepared to stick your head above the parapet and take the stances that you've had? You also talked about noises off. I'm fascinated as a competitor. How do you block those noises out? I mean, I... I you know, speak to a yeah. lot of people at high level sport, they all have different approaches. I'm interested in both those concepts, the, 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 the self-inflicted nature of the pressure, mm -hmm. and then how do you block it out? Yeah, the self-inflicted, you know, it, it really stemmed from, you know, success and, and winning means everything, right? To athletes, Yeah, uh, there's nothing greater than winning. And in our sport, 
always always like to tell the young kids like, hey, what's your favorite, you know, professional football team or, or basketball team? And they'll pick the, the the teams that that win the most games and have have all that. And I'm like, well, how about NASCAR? Uh, we have 38 races and the champion will win four or five times. Like, what do you think about that? And they're like, how does that work? And I'm like, well, that's that's NASCAR and that's motorsports. That's motorsports in a whole. The, the teams that can execute the most, they don't have to have the most wins, but the the win to losing ratio is is a massive deficit. So when I went on a hiatus of five years, uh, four or five years, you know, the first one was, you know, coming from the truck series and we had just, you know, 2014 won four races. Uh, we finished second in the points or third in the points. Can't remember, but it was like, okay, we're ready for the next step. And that was to go to the Xfinity series. And we went through three years of not winning and really not running worth a damn. And it made you question like the first year was like, okay, it's a new series. I'm figuring it all out. But then it was like, man, I just put together the best race of my life and it's good enough for 15th. It's just like, oh, wow. You know, the self-doubt starts to kick in there. And then it's like, okay, you keep going down that path. So you continue to beat yourself down. And so like, I remember cheering for moments where I finished second. Like I was, I was screaming and hollering on the radio for finishing second. Like obviously as a competitor, we all know finish second, you're the first loser. Like that's the worst. <laughs> And so over the years, you just tell yourself like, hey, you're not good enough to win. And I remember climbing in. I remember 2017 was probably the biggest year of my life, my, of my career. It's because the Xfinity Series ride was coming to an end. But we were kind of playing it off to the media like, no, we're going to race the whole year. But we all knew internally like, yeah, I don't really think so unless sponsorship comes through. We ended up putting together our best year with sitting at the 11th race, which ended up being my last race in the season. We were sitting fourth in points. And the same time in my last race ended up being my first cup start, driving the 43, filling in. Uh, I, was, I was a substitute driver for the driver at the time that broke his back. And, yeah, so it was like one door closes, another one opens up. The next four races I was in the cup car, and we continued to get better. 26th, uh, what was it, 26th, 19th, I think 15th and 11th. I think those were my finishes. And it was like, okay, one more race, we'll finish the top 10. But they were like, hey thanks for your time. You're done. And so I was on the couch. I was on the couch for a month or so. Okay. And I got, I got a call to run a truck race at Michigan. And I went back and went into that. Did, how, I'm interested. Yep. Rejection. How did you deal with rejection at that moment? Not good. I, um, I was, you know, I didn't really focus on, you know, what's, what's next, but it was just like, man, I, I hated not racing. Yeah. And, and so I got that call to run the truck race. We went on to win the truck race. And that was a moment of like, hell yeah. That was 2014, November to 2017, August. So that time frame, I had no wins. And, and it was every week, you're not going to, I'm telling myself this, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not going to win anymore. And then I went out and won and it was like, nice job, kid. You did it. And then fast forward from 2017, August to 2021, October no wins, a couple second place finishes. And it was just another period of, Hey, you're not good enough. You're only here because of, you know, your skin color or whatnot. I was very hard on myself. I became, you know, the, the, the crap that I read on Twitter, I became one of those people to myself. And, uh, we ended up winning Talladega 
And it was like, hey, you did it. Great job. But it still, you know, it was they had the asterisk mark beside it because it was rained, shortened race. Well, then fast forward to a couple of weeks ago. Sorry if you hear my dog barking. <laughs> um, fast forward to a couple of weeks ago at Kansas, we went out and dominated that race. Yeah. And it was like, okay, that that was the win that we were searching for for my whole career. We went and did it. And ever since then, I've been like going back to that moment of like, you just did that. And I haven't been able to hate on myself like I had been for the last really eight years. And it's like, wow, that's that's the moment that I go back to. And this ties into your next the second part that you asked is how do you block that out? I go back to Kansas because we did that. That wasn't a range shortened victory. That wasn't, you know, given to you, as some people would say that we went out and had to earn that one the right way. And uh, I continue to be proud of that moment. And that's what keeps me up here above the clouds for, for when you have the moments that say you're suspended for a race. So like I was this past weekend. <laughs> was Kansas in its way a more emotional moment for you than if we go back to Yellowwood 500 in 2021? I mean, it, it was your first ever yep. Cup Series win. It was the first time in African-Americans that you talked about mm-hmm. uh, uh, Wendell Scott in 1963. But yep. the way you talk about it, for all sorts of reasons, I'm sort of getting the feel that Kansas was probably more important and particularly the ability to come back and show that actually, you know, longevity and commitment is something that really is what everybody in a sport gets judged by at the end of their career. Absolutely. It was um, Kansas was, you know, I, I literally... I sit there, I I said it over radio, radio, what are they going to say now? And I question myself like, Hey man, what can you say now? Like what, how can you bring yourself down over this victory? You can't, there's nothing that you can take away from that. Um, Yeah. I didn't win the first and second stage. Like, okay, okay. We'll try to do that again the next time. But other than that, man, you you went out and, and, and did it. And so I definitely think, you know, Kansas was more emotional than, uh, than Talladega for sure. Driving for Michael Jordan's got to be up there, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's definitely really cool to have his support. <laughs> I mean, that he's a, well... I think everybody knows about him, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really hope I'm not having to explain to, to anybody <laughs> anywhere in the world uh, the contribution Michael Jordan has made. Look, let me... Uh, we've talked a lot about you and we've talked a lot about what makes you tick and mm-hmm. look it, it's testament to your incredible work off the track that we've only really at this point towards the end of your generous time uh, got round to the burgeoning list of achievements it's really testament to the the work that you've done off the track so let me quickly look up look towards the future yeah uh, and really personal ambitions notwithstanding uh, your recent extension. Have you ever considered competing in a different form of motorsport series? You know where I'm heading. F1 yeah. is becoming incredibly, uh, incredibly exciting off the back of Drive to Survive. And sure. now I've got American friends who would only have ever watched NASCAR. They're now getting up on a Saturday morning or late Sunday night watching yeah. watching F1, which they frankly didn't even know existed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely ramped up for me over the last two or three years uh, since Drive to Survive has come out, really. And um, it's I've always said I would love to do a car swap, especially with Lewis. 
Um, I've never had the chance to meet Lewis yet. We've had multiple conversations with each other, and I've always enjoyed that time with him. But I think a car swap would be really fun. Uh, competing? Um, man, I, I don't know. I think that would be a fun challenge. I know that I would, you know, get myself handed to me in every sort of direction in those moments. Um, but I think it would be, it would be fun, but definitely doing a car swap just to start. That would be like my, my foot in the door moment. Like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe I do have what it takes because I, I have played. Hey, I'll be one of those guys. It's always like those people that come up to it. Hey, how do I get into NASCAR? I like driving really fast on the roads. It's like, that doesn't really equate. And to that, to the F1 side, I'd be like, Hey, I've made a lot of laps on my PC F1 game. I think I have what it takes. So we'll see. Well, Fernando Alonso has uh, has done pretty well. I mean, obviously Mario won in uh, in, in pretty much every series. So listen, it, it, it's a thought. We'd love to see you there. Um, you talked about Live to Be Different Foundation, mm-hmm. which is your foundation, and the knowledge is power program. What what were the overarching goals in in creating that? Uh, and where are you on plan with that at the moment? Yeah, so the 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 thing right now that we're still trying to figure out uh, is myself and my sister and my fiance has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, um, is is figuring out you know what is the end goal or what is the big picture for this this foundation? And you know, a lot of people have foundations that they have direct correlation or direct ties with something that has affected them in their, in their lives. And, um, and for me, it was like, okay, you know, what, what can we do that's different? And we're still trying to figure that out right now. We've been able to raise a lot of money for, for the local areas around here, the underprivileged areas around Charlotte to make sure they are set for school, make sure they're set for Christmas and Thanksgiving, making sure that they feel the same as, as their friends that, that may have it all to them. Right. And, and I, I don't want to feel like any kid is left behind um, on experiencing the, the good things in life because they don't have what it takes or they can't afford it. And so we're kind of that bridge uh, to help them get to where they, they need to be. And um, that, it's, been a, it's been a lot of fun being able to do those things. And while that's on a much smaller scale, we've been able to, to talk to a lot of kids that that don't feel like they have anything and show like, Hey, if you apply yourselves in all the right areas, then something good will come out of it. You have to trust the process. You have to go out and earn it. And, uh, but yeah, everybody's different. That's what, that's what I said earlier. And you have to push and, and strive to be different, to make it. How hands-on are you with it? It sounds like you, you know, it's not, this is not just strategic. This is a yeah. passion. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, my sister really, I brought her on last year uh, to help, kind of navigate and guide in the nonprofit world. And she, she's the one that comes up with a lot of these ideas of, Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to do this? And we look at, you know, how that aligns with our core values and it, it makes sense. And so I, I sit there and I give the green light or the red light on a lot of things. And, um, and that's, that's important to us. You know, for me, we, we've, we've entertained the idea of how do we attract more minorities into the sport? And what will it take to give those kids that feel like they have what it takes, give them a, a shot, an opportunity. And so that's, that's kind of the bigger picture is how do, we, how do we put all that together? How do we get the funding to do that? How do we get the partnerships and the sponsors to do all that, to be a part of this, to make it, to make it exactly what we want it to be? 
And so there's been a lot of brainstorming. There's been a lot of ideas thrown around on what to do, but we need to, uh, we need to nail that down. And, uh, and, and that's the, that's, I would say the five-year plan. Uh, I don't know if it's that far out. Uh, I'd say, let's say two or three year plan to, uh, to, to figure out, you know, what is exactly going to take to get more minorities in the sport driving wise. Well, I wish you a huge success for that because there's ne- there's now of all times, there's never been a more important time to mm-hmm. try and heal, you know, those rifts and, and just that extending, uh, that extending arm of inequality that you know right. every every society is dealing with at the moment. Right. Listen, I, I'm going to finish on a slightly easier one. You've explained to me how you deal with self-inflicted mm-hmm. uh, pressure. You've talked about how you block the noises off. So when the pressure is eased and everything is peace and quiet out there, what right. do you do to unwind? Um. Well, I'm told I'm told golf is a bit yeah. of a burgeoning passion now. Yeah, I don't know if I unwind or if I just become so wound up during golf because it pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, know, as, as Winston Churchill once famously said, it spoils a really good walk. <laughs> it does. It, it, it for sure does. I agree with that 100 uh, percent. Golf is fun. Um, I, I'm thinking like, you know, what am I going to do after the podcast day? I think I might go to the driving range and hit some balls to hopefully ease the walk for, for tomorrow's game that I'm going to play. So there's never, you never stop honing your craft at golf. That's for sure. But uh, last night uh, I actually ended up, I have a drum set at my house and people always ask like, Hey man, you played on your drum set in a while. And I was like, I'm always like, no, I don't really haven't touched it in six to eight months. And last night I was literally walking in circles around my kitchen uh, my fiance was working on wedding stuff and I was like, I'm going to go outside and play the drums. And she's like, what are you going to play? And I was like, I don't know, just put on some stuff and, and play to it. And it's funny. My, my buddy of mine, he texts me, you know, kind of towards the end as I was finishing up drumming about playing some video games, if I wanted to get on and play. And I said, man, I'll be on it a little bit. I'm actually having fun, you know, playing the drums. And, and I found myself like in the moment of just, enjoying you know playing and and trying to replicate songs and and just letting yourself go and that was a moment that i haven't had in a minute and so i enjoyed that um so drumming last night was was actually a lot of fun um i play video games i'm a big gamer what, what, what's your music uh i'm into the metalcore heavy metal stuff stuff that's screaming and shouting that that sounds like angry <laughs> music which it is, but we always say it's angry music for happy people. So there you go. <laughs> Bubba, thank you for being as generous as you have today with your time. I, I found it fascinating. I've really genuinely found it fascinating. And it does strike me that the more fun you have, the more good you're doing. So just keep Absolutely. having fun. That's all it's about. Have fun. Let, let, worry about the rest later. <laughs> I hope our paths cross. For sure. Likewise. Thank you, brother. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Extraordinary Tales and Extraordinary Times, brought to you by CSM 